the greatest gift ever given, better than any car, luxury item, or even dessert. A study in the best-known verse in all the Bible is coming up next on Grow in Grace. Many believe this is the greatest verse in the Bible. Martin Luther said John 3.16 is the miniature gospel. If you lost the whole Bible and you only had these 25 words, you could understand God, his motive, his character, and where eternity is going. If we could only hold on to this one verse, if you haven't memorized it, you need to. Oh, pastor, I don't memorize very good. Listen, we require our kindergartners to memorize it. Five-year-olds can memorize it. Anybody can. It's that important. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. It's great to have you along today as we bring you another study from God's Word here on Grow in Grace. John 3.16 is perhaps the best known verse in the Bible. It perfectly capsulizes the gospel message of the redemption of man by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. God did it all because he loves us. What a great verse to study. And we'll look at the verses immediately preceding it as well. With a message about the gift, the giver, and the gifted, here's Pastor Ed Ray. We're in the Gospel of John, in the third chapter, and a familiar verse, and the verses around it, starting in verse 13. John writes, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have left this set of instructions and understanding for us so that we might explore it and know you better. So we ask that you would speak to us now by your spirit. Teach us that we might leave this place knowing you better and loving you more. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All of God's people said, amen. amen. We're looking at perhaps the most famous passage in all the Bible. 
best known and probably best loved, you could probably safely say. Master Kita said, if you start here, you're trying to discover, and you are trying to discover what the Bible is all about, start here. He said, and start over here if you think you know all there is to know about the Bible. This is the verse. This is the key. It is short, 25 words in the Greek language, but it pretty much covers all 66 books of the Bible written by more than 40 authors over a 1,400-year time period at least. It's all here in just this short verse. Now, if you're just joining us, we've been working our way verse by verse through this chapter. John has recorded the story of a man who came to Jesus seeking. He was an honest inquirer. He was a religious expert. In fact, he was called the teacher of Israel. That his job, as he sat on the Supreme Court of Israel, of the Jews, was to teach. And so if rabbis were having a discussion, an argument over a particular verse in the Old Testament, this was the go-to guy. He was the guy that had all the answers. So the go-to guy has a problem. He knows he doesn't know God. And who's he going to confess that to? Who's he going to go to for advice? But wisely, he goes to Jesus, which is where we all need to go. But he had him there physically to be able to go to him. So he came to him by night. You'll remember this story. He wanted to have some private time with him, a quiet time. And he asked Jesus about the meaning of life in the broadest sense. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus this expert in the law is baffled. You mean I have to get back inside my mother's womb? No, no. Ask your mom about that. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. You must be born of water, and you must be born of the Spirit. You have to be twice born to die only once. If you're twice born, you will only die in the physical body. You will not die in your soul and spirit for eternity. So this man who came seeking got answers from Jesus. And we're going to break into the story where he's a little baffled. He doesn't quite understand what Jesus is saying. And we have the same problem ourselves. But it's this fascinating section of supposedly the smartest guy in Israel meeting with the smartest guy in the cosmos, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now, Way back in 1955, an American professor and scholar by the name of Francis Schaeffer took his family and moved to Switzerland to a tiny little village called Waymo, Switzerland, because he had a vision for a place where seekers, where people who had questions could come and ask. And so there in their little chalet, they began to invite people from all over the world. And hundreds, thousands of people came to ask him questions because his whole premise was that you ought to be able to ask questions about God. The only time you're afraid is when somebody puts you down for asking a question about God. So we welcomed scholars and all kinds of professors came and scientists, physicists, and 
professors of psychology and philosophy and a biochemist. Because in 1973, I had questions that I couldn't find anyone to answer. So Raylan and I went to visit Labrie. And he answered questions, honestly. You'd go in in the evening, he'd sit in front of this big rock fireplace in the Swiss chalet on the side of a, a French mountainside, French Alps mountainside. And there'd be all these people there that were, and you never knew who you were sitting next to. I was sitting next to a professor in chemistry at Oxford. He said, I've got questions. He says, I can talk to you later. And so I had this private tutor and found out that the Bible is true in all that it asserts. And so that's why we teach through the Bible verse by verse, because every verse is there and important. So Jesus is confronting Nicodemus, who came with honest questions, because he was putting his finger on Nicodemus's hypocrisy. He pretended to be the teacher of Israel, but he knew in his heart of hearts he didn't know God. And so Jesus calls him out, and he gives him this little short lecture that if you take it apart, it will give you the meaning of life. Let's take a look at it. It breaks up into three parts. We're going to take the verses in front of it and behind it because you have to see it in context for it to really make sense. Almost everybody in this room can probably re just recite John 3.16, but it's the bed that Jesus laid it in that makes it this shining object. So there's the first section, he's the heavenly teacher, verse 13. And then 14 through 16, why Jesus came to save, not condemn. And then 17 through 21, that is his point. He's not here to condemn you or me or anyone else. I think you'll love it if you haven't spent time in it. If you've spent time in it, you already love it. So there's many examples of individuals who have come seeking through the history of man. Uh, one such one was a guy named Augustine. You might have studied him when you were in junior high or high school. Augustine uh, was born about 380, died about 430. He was a, a brilliant man, Berber, uh, born in North Africa. And he decided, like so many, when he was about 19 years old, that he was a lot smarter than his parents. It was a Christian home he was born into, but he, you know, his parents are so old-fashioned. And so he decided to go study in the world. And he went east. And he went to Persia, modern-day Iran. And he sat under the tutelage of a man named Manny, M-A-N-I. And Manny taught that God was evil, that the Creator created an earth that was filled with sickness and hurt and pain. And that's why we see so many around us suffering. And he came back with that. He came back west with that being a convert to Manichaeism. And he gets to a old, saged pastor by the name of Ambrose. And Ambrose asked him what he'd been doing. And he told him, and Ambrose began to ask him questions. Well, if God is so evil, why do men desire for fairness? Why is justice such an important idea? What is it that we are able to say someone is innocent or not? And he worked it in such a way that Augustine was finally completely blown away, gave his heart to the Lord, was baptized by Ambrose. And then he would later write 
two books, uh, his Confessions and the second book, The City of God. And those two books would be the all-time bestsellers from the fourth century all the way up to the 16th century because he just thought so broadly. He was the seeker who sought and God gave him truth. So that's our encouragement. You have questions? Good. We have a God who has answers. may not get all the answers here, but you will someday. This is Growing Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is in John 3 today. Let's get back into it, picking up in verse 13. Starting in verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. If you want to know what, say, the Grand Canyon is like, you ask somebody that's been there. Jesus has been to heaven. (laughs) And that's what he's saying to Nicodemus here. But he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man. Now that title, Son of Man, is first found in the Old Testament, way back in the book of Daniel. And there was a prophecy of Jesus, someone coming, who was in fact from heaven, who was in a physical human body. Now the rest of this verse, I cannot really explain to you. I don't understand it. Who is in heaven? The Son of Man is sitting there, talking to Nicodemus and he says the son of man who is ascended to heaven come back down and who is now in heaven and we could have gone off into the world of physics there's a physicist here last night and he and I talked after this service it was kind of fun and he was talking about multiverses and if you're a Star Trekkie you've thought about these kind of things because that's the thing Roddenberry was throwing out all the time that you could be in two places at once and it came from a tiny corner of chemistry and physics quantum mechanics that had found and it's true that a electron can be in two places at once only at that subatomic particle theory and you're looking at me like I've lost my mind. (laughs) It is something that you are doing right now. What? You are seated in heavenly places, Paul, the apostle said. No, 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 pastor. I'm sitting in the packing house and I got both feet on the ground. Don't give me that airhead stuff. This is what Paul said. Ephesians 2, 6. Made us all sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So you're sitting here physically, but you're also sitting in the presence of Jesus Christ in the realms of heaven. Because you have, those of you who have surrendered your life to him, are already partakers of the body of Christ in heaven. And that blank look on your face tells me it's time to move on to the next verse. (laughs) Verse 14. Now, Jesus goes completely sideways. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, all of a sudden, in the middle of this discussion about the meaning of life, he pulls out this story from Numbers chapter 21. And in it, the children of Israel are out in the Sinai. And they're, you know, they've been released from Pharaoh. Moses is leading them and they're complaining. 
they're whining, they're sniveling about Moses' leadership. They said, the, the, we're, we're running out of food, we're running out of water, you took us out here to die. And Moses prays, and God says, I'll feed him every day. And so every day, this white frost comes down that's edible, and they didn't know what it, to call it, so they called it, what is it? That's what manna means, what is it? Or as my grandson would say, what up? <laughs> you know, we send him to school. <laughs> he knows how to speak English, but, but he leaves a lot of words out. You know, what up? <laughs> what up? The sky? <laughs> so you could correctly say that manna is what up. So they're having this manna, and I... I can only tell you what scripture says. To me, it's a little bit like oatmeal. You know, oatmeal is good every once in a while, but you don't want to have oatmeal for breakfast and oatmeal for lunch and oatmeal for dinner. And, and that's what they're complaining about. They, they said, Moses, we got manna burgers, we got manna cotti, we got manna bagels, we got filet of manna, we got manna bread. Now, I stole that from Keith Green's song, so you want to go back to Egypt. Manna. So they're complaining, and Moses prays to God, God, please give them something else. And God decides to take them out to the woodshed, as my dad would say to us boys, and give us a little discipline. And so he says, I'm going to send serpents into the camp. Now, remember, this is Nicodemus asking Jesus about the meaning of life. And Jesus goes into this story that Nicodemus is very familiar with, but he doesn't understand it. In fact, it's a beautiful illustration of Jesus Christ. How so? So the, the serpents come in, they begin to bite people. We don't know what kind of serpents they were. There's black mambas in the Sinai Peninsula. My favorite is a, a snake called Ten-Step Adder, because that... They got the name from you can take 10 steps after he bites you and then you die. So he is a very effective snake. But some kind of snake biting them and the people start to die and they, they cry out to Moses. Moses pray that God would take away the snakes. And Moses prays and God said, no, I'm not going to take away the snakes. I want you to make a snake. Moses says, what? I want you to cast a bronze snake in the sand. Bronze is a combination of copper and lead. And they made a little squiggly line in the sand, poured these two metals into it, and then take that snake and put it on a pole and then lift it up in the center of the camp. And you tell the people, everybody that looks at that snake, they'll be healed. Now, you can imagine there were lots of skeptics in the crowd they said, Moses, you're losing your mind. I'm not looking at that snake. No way. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. And they died. But for the people that were just desperate enough, because they knew they were dying, to look at the snake, they were healed. <laughs> What's the point? Nicodemus, that story is in the Old Testament for you right now this moment. Because the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, whom you're talking to, 
is going to take on the sins of the world and he's going to be put on a stake on a cross and lifted high up in the middle of the city of Jerusalem and everyone who looks to him who believes that he has taken on their sin they will be healed what that's what's going on here now the picture is found in 2 Corinthians 5:21. God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. The one who knew no sin took your sin and my sin and died on a cross so that the punishment would be paid for by the blood of the Son of Man. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now, there's the picture for Nicodemus. He was lifted up as Moses lifted up the snake. When Jesus was lifted up, if you looked at him on that day in 32 AD, your sins are forgiven. But it's true today. This day just as true as it was then. If you look unto Jesus, if you believe that he died for your sins, you will never die. We'll come back to that again in a moment. Verse 15. That whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life, or some of your translations say everlasting life. It means age-abiding life, that you will not age. Wow, that's thankful. A life in the age to come. Now, this word is used eight times in the Bible translated as everlasting life in the Gospel of John. So it refers to resurrection and heavenly existence for eternity, time without end. And that's the setup for the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's take that apart. Four, many believe this is the greatest verse in the Bible. Martin Luther said, John 3.16 is the miniature gospel. If you lost the whole Bible and you only had these 25 words, you could understand God, his motive, his character, and where eternity is going. If we could only hold on to this one verse, If you haven't memorized it, you need to. Oh, pastor, I don't memorize very good. Listen, we require our kindergartners to memorize it. Five-year-olds can memorize it. Anybody can. It's that important. For God, it begins as the Bible begins. For God created the heavens and the earth. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? God gave everything to pave the way for salvation from sin. Join us tomorrow as we continue our study through John chapter 3. We look forward to having you join us then here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray.
And if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. This program is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We have an exciting resource to tell you about today. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Grace is a word we love to hear, but many of us don't know what it really means. Sure, it's how God saves us, but it's also how we grow. Pastor Chuck Smith shares insights from his own life and reveals how grace changes everything in our lives when properly understood and applied. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE and we'll send this your way for a gift of any amount. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'd also like to hear what God is up to in your life. Is he using this program to help you grow in grace? We want to know. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's all the time we have for today, but mark this spot in John's Gospel and join us next time as together we grow in grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your